0: Welcome, and thank you for
1: tuning in to Black Women Amplified, the podcast. Your host, Monica Wisdom Tyson, brings you downloadable conversations that matter to women around the globe. We discuss all things black girl magic, amplify our voices, and transform our challenges into triumphs. Monica calls on her league of extraordinary women to push our boundaries, share their expertise, and stories of personal transformation. Welcome your host of Black Women
0: Amplified, Monica Wisdom-Tyson. Hey, Black Women Amplified family, it is your girl Monica Wisdom and I am so excited to be with you today. I've got to say, I'm really, really excited to have this conversation because as I've told you, we're going to add a little business into the mix. There is a rumbling and a renaissance happening with Black women. Who are tired of living like they're living. I'll just put it as that. So I'm going to bring you some people who have transformed their lives through business, shifting from corporate into entrepreneurship and all the things in many different special ways. So I'm going to sprinkle that in between the interviews. But if you listen to all of the stories, we get to hear journeys of transformation, whether it's Shea Wafer, Leatrice Elsie, or Tanya Pinkins, All of the ladies have given us insights on how they have changed their lives throughout the years as well as Mr. Eric Roberson going from artist to songwriter and CEO of his own company. He gave some incredible business insights. But today we have a business leader, an executive who has turned into entrepreneur, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. But before that, I want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends and your tribe and continue to do so. And please take a moment to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and a rating that helps us be seen on the platform and it helps to get this word out about these incredible stories of these incredible women. And that is the movement. The movement is to have powerful conversations with incredible women so that we can shift the perspective of how the world sees us and it's going across the globe. I was looking at the analytics. This is the business side, but there's an analytic part of the podcast where it tells you where it's going. We've reached Africa, Europe, South America. So it is trickling around the globe and all across America. So if you are listening from Ghana, if you were listening from South Africa, if you were listening from Germany, all the places, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Black women around the world are doing incredible things and I wanna talk to you as well. And today we have one of our international flavors who's joining us who was born in Belize. But one last thing before I get into her introduction, I want to celebrate some milestones. And this is all because of you all. We have reached at this moment Over 11,000 followers on our Facebook page, Black Women Amplified, as well as we are on our 51st episode of the Black Women Amplified podcast. The average that people make it is four episodes. So we are exceeding the numbers and that's all because of you. So, With all gratitude and all thanks, I am blessed to have your ear every week to share these stories, to share these women, and to hopefully ignite something in you to have the courage to live your dream in a magnificent way. So again, thank you. It's all love. It is really all love. I've been in prayer all day and I've been in deep thought all day of how to take us to the next level, how I can take myself to the next level because one thing I believe is that the shift It has to happen with Black women, is we have to stop doing everything just for others and include ourselves in the equation. That's a very important part of our renaissance, of our evolution as Black women, because we are so used and conditioned taking care of others and making sure others are happy, that they are satisfied with what we are doing. We have to take that same energy and focus on ourselves. So not only do I wanna take this platform to the next level, I'm going to take this platform to the next level and I'm taking myself along with it. (laughs) So I am excited today to present to you, Miss Dorothy Enriquez. She is a sister from Belize, but she has lived all over the world. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her and then we're gonna get into a very incredible conversation with her. I will probably break it up into two parts because she's giving a lot of, not only we're talking about her life, but she and I are having an entrepreneur to entrepreneur conversation. And so there's a lot of juicy gems in there that if you started a business, if thinking about a business, if you're thinking about leaving corporate America and starting your own brand, your own idea. I also have a workshop coming up called How I Built My Brand, and I'll get details about that later. But if you're on my email list, if you go to blackwomenamplify.com, you can sign up for the email list and you will get information about that through, da-da-da, email, yes, old school. Not everything is on social media. A lot of things come through the email list first. So let's talk about her, Dorothy Enriquez. She is an author, a business expert, and a global citizen. Born in Belize, Dorothy has lived across the globe and is now based in the United States, creating a business empire that transforms C-suites across the nation to become more inclusive of female representation, yes, While helping women become more confident, Dorothy exemplifies girl power as she shares her trials, lessons, and triumphs with us here at Black Women Amplified. Please welcome the exuberant (laughs) Dorothy Enriquez, CEO of Elevate Collective. How are you today? Yes, I'm doing good. I'm great. I can't complain.
1: Plus, if I did, who would listen? Right.
0: Right. Like life is lifing.
1: When I say, (laughs) yeah. When I say.
0: Life is lifing. Let me tell you this. I know we're doing audio, but you looked absolutely gorgeous. The little bit of video that I saw you in. (laughs) I got cute for you. I appreciate the effort, but that's why I say audio only. Because it just, you know, sometimes we got to just get past the glam and just do us. <laughs> right, right. I understand. Agreed. But I appreciate your time. And we're going to get into this interview, this conversation. Yes. First of all, I want to know more about you. You say, when I read your information, a third culture kid. Can mm-hmm. you explain to me what that is? Yes. So I am a third culture kid
1: by way of Belize, Italy, Japan, and the United States. And so what that means is when you are associated and attached to multiple cultures, you basically create like this third culture. And so a lot of times people want to be able to put you in a box and say like, well, where are you from? I always feel like that's a trick question. I'm like... (laughs) Like, what do you mean though? Like, where was I born or Mm -hmm. where did I go? Or what's on my birth certificate or my heritage. And so being attached to all the cultures almost equally is what makes me a third culture kid. And I have attachment, alignment, and association with all of them in one way or another. And so it just, essentially gives me a global perspective, especially as I do the work that I do. I can look through multiple lenses. I tell some of my like Asian friends, I'm more Asian than you. (laughs) I grew up there. (laughs) So you grew up in Japan. I did. So that's where I spent my formative years. Okay. So like our childhood is broken down into like early childhood. And then you have your formative years. Those are the parts of your childhood that you remember more strikingly. So I was in Japan from 10 years old to 16 years old. I remember it. But like if somebody had lived in Japan between two and six, they might not remember very much of it because they were so little. That's like in their earlier childhood. But your formative years are the years that you can really latch on to. A lot of people remember being 10, 11, 12. Most of us don't remember being two, three, four. We may have a memory, but to say that we remember it with, an excellent
0: pinpoint. I remember this, 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 it's low. Mm-hmm. But those early years definitely form our personality. Oh my God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's just necessarily know how I got there,
1: but like yeah, <laughs> this space, so I was like five, this personality, the way that I show up, the intensity that
0: I bring. Yeah. I've been this way since I was five. I always tell people we are born with our personality and then the world kind of breaks it down. And then we have to take time to build it back up because I look at yeah. three godchildren. And if you look at a picture of them together now and a picture of them when they were little, same exact personalities. <laughs> right. So we are definitely born with our personalities and yeah. it's cultivated depending on like you said, you've been raised all over the world. So you had the opportunity to see the world. Mm -hmm. So your vantage point is very different. Yeah. What took your family to Japan? So my parents are Belizean. They're from Central America
1: and specifically we're Garifuna. So they moved to the United States, like in the seventies ish. And my mom was like, well, I'm not marrying anybody who can't show me the world. And my dad was like, well, dang, how am I going to do that? He was like, Aha, I know what I'll do. I'll join the military. And that's how we'll see the world. So initially, when he was traveling to different countries, they weren't necessarily going together, but then they started going together, which is why I was born in Italy. And then they stopped going together because now they had kids. And so they decided the kids will stay in America. But then they talked it through and they were like, Mm-mm, we need to raise them overseas. And so mm. we
0: left. That was a great decision.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, so my parents are foreign, right? They grew up in another country. They were not raised here. And I think they wanted the opportunity to really like instill some of those values that may not necessarily align with like American culture in general. So they're Belizean. They are from a collectivistic culture and Japan is collectivistic too. So to say like raising kids is going to be a group project, That's you want to go to a country where they believe in group projects in the U.S. people, while they would love help and support, the culture itself does not lend itself to that because the culture believes you should do everything by yourself, which is why daycare isn't funded by
0: the government. (laughs) They're like, you should do that by yourself.
1: What? Why?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, a Black American culture has always been until probably after the civil rights movement. It was very much community. Oh, absolutely. So yeah. We were raised. I know I was raised in a village, and I know many of my friends were raised in a village of aunties and cousins and uncles that were not necessarily blood. Mm-hmm. The society itself is not set up that way, but yeah. we definitely have it a deep in our culture. And still, I'm still aunties and uncles too and co-parents to people I did not birth. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a part of our culture. But I understand Japan. I've only had a layover in Japan on my way to Thailand, but I definitely would like to go back. Yeah. And the beauty of traveling, I loved when I went to Thailand because I was able to see the distinction between the Asian cultures as opposed to clumping everybody Mm -hmm. under one thing. Yeah, And so how does, first of all, how did you, what was the decision to come back to America? And then did you go to college here? Yep. So I
1: finished high school in America. So I stayed in high school till I was 17. But when I got here, I was ready to graduate. But they wouldn't let me graduate because I didn't have enough PE, physical education. (laughs) They made me stay in school for an extra two years to get PE credits. So I was in physical education classes with like freshmen and sophomores, (laughs) even though I was a junior and a senior. Oh, wow. So yeah, I went to high school out here for two years, and then I did go to college out here. So I went to college at the University of Laverne in Laverne, which is in LA County. And then for graduate school, I went to Cal State Fullerton, which is in Orange County. And then I stayed in Orange County for a long time. But in between undergrad and graduate school, I went to school at the Université de Montréal in Quebec because I wanted to be a translator. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I was like, I need to make sure like I'm super fluent in this French thing <laughs> <laughs> I need to make sure like I'm super fluent. And I mm. came back and I was super fluent. And then I started graduate school after that. But yeah, like coming to America. Oh, my God. It was such a culture shock. I had such a hard time. I would say it took me years to assimilate, mm-hmm. years to learn how to be Black, like Black American and years to just. I don't know. It just was so different. I had such a difficult time because it was nothing like Belize, nothing like Japan. I just couldn't get with the program. And y'all drive on the wrong side of the road. Now, wait a minute. The steering wheel is on the wrong side. Like, I just don't know, honey. I was getting in the driver's Now, wait a minute. For years. for years, I was getting in on the driver's side. People were like, what are you doing? What is happening? I'm like, oh,
0: the steering (laughs) wheel is over there. Oh, boy. All right. Let me get in on the other (laughs) Now, do you speak Italian and Japanese? So I used to speak
1: Japanese. Now I would say, I mean, I can still write my name. I can still say some stuff. But Mm -hmm. there was no one to speak Japanese to. Mm -hmm. You're like, even the high school I went to didn't offer Japanese classes. So... Yeah, I know some stuff in Japanese. Like if I'm hearing a language, I can be like, oh, that's Japanese or mm-hmm. that's not Japanese. I don't know what that is, but it's not Japanese. But <laughs> I I mean, now I would just say mostly English and French. And my French is suspect at this point. But I was speaking French over the weekend. <laughs> <and a> suspect. <laughs> it's sus, man. But when I do speak <laughs> it to French speaking people,
0: they're like, oh, wow, your French is really good. And I'm like, it's triggity trash. I used to have a client who was fluent and her mother was French from France. Okay. And so her French was beautiful. And I would just hand her a magazine and say, read this. And she's like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) Okay. Well, next time you're going to read it again. Because I just was intrigued by seeing a black woman, an American black woman. Well, she wasn't American. She was raised and born in France, but just to see that image of us speaking another language is always fascinating to me. Oh yes. I love it. It's a beautiful thing. So you are a culture kid, third culture kid. Yes. So how you said it was challenging to assimilate to America. Oh so my God. what was that process like and how did you build your confidence in just being who you are? Oh my God. Now that took forever. Okay. That
1: Took forever. Becoming confident and comfortable in my skin was a journey. Mm -hmm. I would say the first wave was really getting comfortable with like what I looked like. I just was really insecure and growing up, you know, I was the ugly duckling. And so it was like, why do you like her? Woof. And I'm like, gosh, kids can be so
0: mean." (laughs) mean. So
1: by the time, as I got into high school, I was like, well boys don't like me so i'm just going to have to be the smart one and so me and two of my sister friends we were quote unquote the ugly ducklings mm. and we were super smart we graduated like magna cum laude summa cum laude which we graduated at the top of our classes because it wasn't like we were going to get any play or attention but i do think that mm. when no one thinks you're cute you really internalize that and you're like uh, I want to grow up and be cute. And so it wasn't until I was about 25 that I started actually getting comfortable in my own skin and making a conscious effort to not look in the mirror and pick myself apart and be like, this is wrong with you. This is wrong. This isn't right. You should fix this. You should fix that. And getting comfortable with what I look like and embracing it and not wanting to look like somebody else. And then the next wave of getting comfortable in my own skin Mm -hmm. was when I went through the African-American Leadership Program in 2015. That was the catalyst for long-term transformation that went beyond feeling pretty and really solidified in the self-efficacy, that deep sense of knowing that you know that you got the juice, even if you don't have all the pieces, even if you're not sure how it's all going to come together, because you're you and because you trust yourself and you Mm -hmm. trust who you're becoming and you trust yourself in the process, you've got this deep confidence that allows you to persist and have fortitude, constitution, resilience, tenacity, and that gravitas and grit to keep going forward that is when I was like, oh man, you can't tell me nothing. (laughs) I got this. I can do this. My blackness is an asset. Mm -hmm. And we out here. Hashtag black magic. Hashtag unapologetic. Hashtag unencumbered. Hashtag let's go. I just feel like that was the true catalyst for sustained transformation and evolution. And what it offered is a new frame. Because a lot of times I think as Black girls, as Black women, we have our failures and mistakes and we allow it to define us in such a way that our intuition is processing through our pain. Mm -hmm. Instead of giving us that opportunity to say, let me not look through the lens of pain, regret, Somebody just not doing me right, treating me right, etc. And instead looking through this lens of, well, yes, I failed. Yes, I made a mistake. And what that allows me to do is X. The way that I can think about it is like this. The way that I can frame that is like that. So that the way that we talk about our mistakes, our failures, and our shortcomings, that's what really determines, can I transform? Can I evolve? can I catapult to the next level? It's kind of like your setback is a layup for your comeback, but that's all in the framing and framing can be our best friend or it can be our worst enemy.
0: That's very true because it's really, when you look back at it, they weren't really mistakes. They were a part of the building process. They weren't really failures. They were just pauses because looking at it from the lens of someone in her 50s, it's like, oh, if I had not gone through this, it would not have taken me to this step. Because right. when you glide through life and it's so easy, when stuff happens, I'm about the cuss. When stuff happens, you don't know how to handle it. <laughs> listen, <laughs> but when you, when you Listen, but when you build that foundation brick by brick, layer by layer, and some of the bricks are flawed. Some of the bricks are broken, but you still have a solid wall. You can handle anything. And mm-hmm. the beauty of it is knowing and understanding that foundation of Blackness, right? whether it's global Blackness or local Blackness, it is rooted deep. In this entire culture called the world. Right. And when you connect those dots, like you said, you're unstoppable. Yes. yes. <laughs> you are 100% unstoppable when you realize that you're the blueprint for it all. And that not. that's the reframe. <laughs> you're Girl. the blueprint for it all. So right?
1: I like to just be like, I am the magic. Like, yeah, you can copy me. Yeah, you can
0: do what I do. Mm-hmm. But I am the magic. hmm I am the secret sauce. (laughs) That's exactly right. So when did you enter corporate America?
1: I entered corporate America at 23. So that's after getting my master's degree. So before that, like I taught for two years and I was like, okay, I'll come back to this when I look a little bit older. (laughs) So I entered into corporate at 23 and I was in the human resources department. I was a global training specialist. And I worked for like a background screening agency. So everything that I did mostly was online. I did have to travel on site sometimes, mm-hmm. but it was mostly all online training. How long did you stay in corporate America? 15 very long years. Okay, <laughs> I tried to escape <laughs> once, but I was like Patsy. And they brought me back. Oh,
0: thank you. Patsy.
1: <laughs> yes, girl. By the time they were done with me, you know, Patsy was never the same child.
0: Never the same. That was me for a <laughs> smooth minute. I was never the same. Girl. So I want to circle back to the African-American Leadership Program. What is that program? So the African-American
1: Leadership Program is a nine-month cohort style experience for Black leaders in the Milwaukee County area. Mm -hmm. And so ALUM, the African-American Leadership Alliance Milwaukee, houses this nine-month cohort-style experience. And they basically get 20 Black leaders together every year and build them up to be wildly impactful in the community and beyond. And so they go through this program. They start out one way, and re-emerge a different way. And I believe the statistics for this program show that if you go through this program, you're definitely gonna be making at least 10 G's more. You're either gonna get a promotion or you're gonna quit, get a new job, making more money, <laughs> you're gonna become a business owner, making more money, like the impact financially is incredible and there's this well-being project that they were doing. I want to say in the state of Wisconsin and a few other states. and what it shows is that when black people, men, women, and non-binary, when they're making 90 thousand plus dollars a year, it literally lifts up the entire community. Mm-hmm. So part of this initiative is to get everybody to 90k plus. Oh, wow. And we know the average black man makes 43k plus. And the average Black female business owner also makes 43K plus. And of the Black female business owners, only 6% will hit 100K. And of that 6%, not all of them will see 100K repeatedly. So if we could get more Black people to $90,000 a year, we would transform communities across the United States.
0: Yes, because we do have a community mindset. We don't just make money for ourselves. Right. We make money so that we can help others. Exactly. <laughs> we are true philanthropists.
1: <laughs> a multi-trillion dollar buying power. So yes. if we get the black dollar mm-hmm. to stay in the community longer, because the black dollar doesn't even circulate once. Right. So if we I want to say like in Asian and Jewish communities, it circulates like six times. Mm-hmm. And so if we could get our money to circulate more within our community, I believe that would be a complete game changer for us.
0: I remember when I went to Bermuda to visit a friend of mine that lives there, Bermudian, and the way that their government was set up is that for you to own a business in Bermuda, it had to be 51% Bermudian owned mm-hmm. so that the money stayed, the economy stayed within itself. Right. And because of that, most of the island is rich, which most people don't know. <laughs> Yeah. On the island are wealthy. They own their property. They own their home and their businesses are not franchises. I think they have one McDonald's that might've slipped in years and years and years ago,
1: mm-hmm. but all
0: the restaurants are local restaurants. All the businesses are local businesses. And it's a beautiful thing because all the money, like you said, stays there. So everybody prospers. Oh. Mm-hmm. And that's why now I need to go to Bermuda. Oh Yeah. Beautiful. First of all, the sand and the beach. The water is clear and the beaches are pink. Beautiful. Oh, I definitely need to go. (laughs) And it's right off of South Carolina. So it's about maybe an hour and 15-minute flight off of South Carolina. Anyway, beautiful place. It's on the list. That's it. You like, I'm writing it down now. Right. I am writing it down. I'm gonna text my boo. Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. So you went into you, it seems like you've gone through lots of transformations, yeah, in your young years. Mm-hmm. And around two, you started your business. You had a baby. You ended a relationship. Um, all at the same time. Yes, well, I would recommend it. <laughs> Who does that? What was the village of support that was around you during that time, and what birthed from it? None, honey. So um, I
1: feel like. That was one of the (laughs) loneliest times of my life. OMG, I would not recommend it. Mm -hmm. So to give you a timeline, I get pregnant in July, 2017. By the end of 2017, I was like, bro, I don't think this marriage is going to work out. And here's the thing. So when I was pregnant, I wasn't super hormonal or anything. After I had the baby, I was a mess. I was like one big chocolate puddle. I mean, it was then I was very hormonal. But when I was pregnant, I felt like I was pretty steady. But everything around me seemed like it was collapsing. And, you know, in hindsight, I feel like I was the butterfly in the chrysalis. And here's the thing. When you were like, was there a village to support you? No, there wasn't. But if you think about the process of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly and it's in that chrysalis stage, if you help it, it will die. Mm -hmm. So it has to do it on its own. Would I recommend doing it on its own? No, that was just my life and my journey. But I was in Wisconsin and all of my people were in other states. Mm -hmm. My best friends lived in Virginia, Arkansas, Cali. And so I just literally was alone not planning for my life to essentially implode, but it did. And it was one thing after another. Like I got pregnant and I was like, gosh, this marriage is not giving what it's supposed to have gave. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself like, maybe it will get better, but I don't think this is just me, but I don't mm-hmm. think babies necessarily bring you closer together. I think babies shine up spotlight on areas of opportunity, challenges, and things that might be worth exploring within your marriage. But to say like, this small human that won't let you sleep, won't let you live your very best life, like is going to bring you closer together. If anything, it's going to make you more tired, more exhausted, more testy, all the things. So I'm pregnant. In the middle of the pregnancy, my husband moves out, and I'm like, sir, it's <laughs> like questions that need answers, asking for a friend. So I spent a, a smooth portion of my pregnancy all by myself. And then my mom, she's Caribbean. She's like, I bet it was you, you know, I feel like you're more And I'm just like, it wasn't me. So mm-hmm. he's like, I think you should let him move back in. And I was like, girl, bye. So I do it knowing that it's a roll of the dice. So I'm praying, mm-hmm. I'm fasting. I mean, I'm pregnant, so I wasn't giving up food, but I was like fasting from other things to try to get that spiritual clarity because while I don't want to be divorced, I don't believe in divorce. I want to stay, but it wasn't a healthy situation for me. So I have the baby thinking, because everyone says lots of people's spouses treat them terribly when they're pregnant. And I was like, that sounds insane. That should be when you're the narcissist. So I'm navigating this life. Everything's falling apart. And in the middle of all of that, I quit my job. So I'm pregnant, quit my job. Then I have the baby, he moves back in probably three weeks before the baby shows up. And then I have the baby and all of a sudden he's like, from my experience of what I could tell, completely checked out. And so I'm just doing it by myself. So I packed the kid up when she's like three and a half, four weeks old, no vaccines, nothing. And I was like, my mental health is severely at risk right now. Pack up the baby and my mom and I go back to California so that I can try to recuperate and get my mind back. And so during that month that I spend in California with this newborn, I'm recalibrating my life. And I'm like, do I separate? Do we get a divorce? Do we maybe move someplace else that might be better for the both of us? And I decide I'll just get a brief separation and we're going to like focus on our marriage while we're separated. Anyway, long story long, he was just out and about just living his very best life like a single individual. And so I just like, uh-oh, yeah, okay, we should get a divorce. And so I filed for divorce. So now had the baby in May, filed for divorce in July, start the business full-time in August. And by December, I was fairly cooked. I really hadn't made much money. I've got this infant all day, every day. I'm by myself. I don't have any help. My mom would try to fly back and forth and stay with me for like, three weeks. But as soon as it got cold in Wisconsin, she was out. She was like, ah, nah, I'll see you in summertime, child. So I was by myself with an infant and a business, no job, no backup plan. And I was like, okay, God, you're going to have to fix it, Jesus. And right as I was getting ready to run out of money in March of 2018, because I had saved like four months worth of finances. And I was slotted to run out in March of 2018. And that's when I started booking my first five-figure contracts. Child, it was a whirlwind.
0: I was very sleepy. Wow. (laughs) That is a lot for anybody to endure. What did you learn about yourself during that? (laughs) That I can endure.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like the thing I learned about myself though, is I'm relentless. and. I am going to push forward because I believe in Dorothy. I believe in who I'm becoming and I believe in the God that put me here. I don't think I'm here by accident. I don't think I'm in this space by accident. I think I have a gifting for the work that I do. And this is what God asked me to do. This is what I was purposed to do. And he never said it would be easy. He never said it would be like walking on the clouds. And so the thing that I've had to remind myself of regularly, child, is (laughs) I'll literally be doing whatever. And I'm like, okay, God, your word says you have plans to prosper me, plans to give me hope and a future. And I'm going to sit here and act like you're telling the truth. I'm just going to act like you are telling the truth, because sometimes I think we have our faith and we believe in what we believe, but it's like, we believe with a side eye, like, Oh, he gonna do it for other people, but will he do it for me? So for me, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to act like you're telling the truth. And while the first few years as a single mom were the, I mean, it's still hard, but I think the first few years were the hardest years because I was trying to come to grips with the fact that I was a single mom And that was not the plan. And I absolutely didn't see it coming. And I didn't think I could do it. But even in the midst of the chaos and the sadness and the resentment and feeling salty, God has always kept me. Mm -hmm. We're not on a top ramen diet. We're not living under a bridge or a freeway. It's always worked (laughs) out, even though it didn't necessarily work out the way that I wanted it to or the way that... perspective mm-hmm. it's always worked out and I think that that's because I'd be really upset I sit up here like I'm gonna act like you telling the truth you promised and I'm gonna tell everybody but I also think the God that I serve wants a chance to show up and show out and so I think that some of the blessings and miracles that I've witnessed on this journey have blown my mind
0: So what are some of the miracles you've experienced? Child,
1: first of all, I feel like I have built (laughs) an award-winning six-figure business. I'm winning another award in July. I do this all by myself. One of my goals, because I am a single mom, one of my goals was to like kick butt as a single mom. I had a mentor who had three kids under the age of two and became a single mom because her husband was for the streets. And one of the things that she said was, I want to raise my kid as if they're in a two parent household so that if they want stuff, if they want to go places, if they want to play a a sport, if they want to do this, be here, be there, we'll be able to do it. And when she told me that, I really held on to that because she's much older than me. Her kids are in their 50s, but I held on to that because I wanted that for my daughter. I wanted it to feel like, yes, she only has one parent. But like financially, she would feel like she's in a two-parent household, and she could still do all the things that I got to do growing up because I was in a two-parent household. And I think that being able to get out of debt, that was just a complete blessing. I think being able to move cross-country because of how well my business has performed. The last time I moved cross-country, my company that I was working for paid for it. This time, I paid for it because the firm has done well and has been able to provide. When I look at my life and the lifestyle that I live and I look around and I look at my neighborhood or the school that my daughter goes to or the fact that she's in private school or the car that I drive or the estate planning team that I have, this is all because of Elevate. This is not me working for somebody else. This is me grinding it out and pushing forward based on what I believe God showed me.
0: That I think is a miracle. So at what point did you realize I need some assistance and you hired a coach or a mentor to take you to the next step of your dream or your, your position?
1: ago, So mm-hmm. I've had coaches and mentors since I was 25. So I, now there have been times, especially in corporate where like, I didn't have a coach at all. But the first coaching and mentoring experience I had was when I was 25 years old, and it was a game changer because what the research shows is that most Black women almost never get a coach or a mentor or a sponsor, advocate, or champion. And so the fact that I was able to have that experience so early on, I think it definitely played a role in my trajectory and what would happen next. But as far as business goes, I started the firm in 2016 and I've had coaches and or mentors the entire time. I don't know that an entire quarter has gone by without me consulting and conferring with the wise counsel of a coach or a mentor. I am always participating in programs. I don't care how expensive they are. Sometimes you're paying for a mentor. Sometimes you're paying for access. But I think that's why I've been able to obtain this level of success and sustain it. Like I said, a lot of business owners, a lot of Black women who are running businesses, only 6% of us, that's so low, only 6% of us will hit that $100,000 mark and for many of us in that statistic, we will not sustain it. So in a 10-year business, we might see it once and not see it again until in that next 10 years. And that's if we even keep the business alive. And I think a lot of it has to do with not having access to the resources or getting access to the resources and not having support. Access without support is still oppression. And so, Yeah, we can have the access, but then what are we supposed to do with it? Okay, so we made six figures, but how the heck do we do that again? How can we make this a repeat experience and not lose our hair or our edges in the process? How do we do that? We have to get coaches. We need to do accelerators. We need to have business besties that are gonna give us the game and not like run us around in circles because they're trying
0: to gatekeep. And so for me, Let's hold on. Let's talk about that gatekeeping. Child. Oh, listen, that's a whole 10 hour conversation. When I say I don't understand it. It's a lack mentality. That's what it is. Mm
1: -hmm. It is. I tell you. So let's say so I do leadership. Let's say you do leadership. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to lunch and I'm going to be like, so how much do you charge for a keynote? You'll tell me. I'll tell you mine. Mm -hmm. How much do you charge for a workshop? I'll tell you mine, you tell me yours. How much do you charge for a half day? I'll tell you mine, I'll tell you yours. Now, here's the thing. Depending on what industry and sector you're in, people are a lot more open and volunteering of this information. However, I started out in media and entertainment. I started with a talk show and a magazine. When I tell you nobody would give me the game, Mm -hmm. Do I still do a talk show? Nope. Do I still do a magazine? Nope. Because I was spending a lot of money and could not figure out the game. Mm -hmm. I could not figure out how to get a leg up. But in this space that I'm in, leadership development, diversity, equity, inclusion, coaching, transformative cohort style experiences, Ciao. <laughs> I literally could go to lunch with somebody who does almost exactly what I do and we will spill the tea. Let me tell you why this is important cuz I'm sure there's a listener like why would you tell someone your price? Girl, why not? Let me tell you why I'm going to tell somebody my price and it's not like if it cannot be mutual, mm-hmm. well then we ain't got to talk. But here's why this is important. Let's say that me and Monica are in the same city, if not working in the same county. Let's say I charge $100 for my service and Monica charges $25. But Monica's just as good as me, if not better. We both need to at least be charging $100 so that the marketplace does not try to play Monica, right? let alone try to play me. Because what's gonna happen is because Monica's prices are too low, she's charging $25 for a $100 service. Monica cannot get to where she needs to get to in her business. It's gonna take her four times as long as it's gonna take me. But also as black women, we have to understand the transformation that we bring and the value of our products or services to charge properly. There's no reason on this earth for Monica to be charging $25 for a $100 service. The thing is though, Monica doesn't know that her price is too low. And because the client got what they wanted, they're not about to tell her that her price is too low. Somebody needs to come. And we got to dialogue and talk so that there's parity.
0: And the other piece of that, as Black women, we have to release that servitude mentality. Girl, we have to release all of that memory of we are servants. Mm. I'm not here to make sure your life is better. I'm here to provide a service, but my life has to be better too. We mm. have to bring in reciprocity for ourselves. So if we're sharing information, we have to look at it from the perspective of it's making us both stronger. It's like, let's go conquer this together because there's enough money and abundance for everybody. But like you said, it comes out of that survival mentality right? and lack of abundance mentality. But if we realize- Let's say the government wants to go buy 20 ships. All of a sudden they have $3 billion. Hmm. But they'll tell you, we can't help you buy this house. Yep. So we have to realize we need access to that $3 billion. So even in business, point being is that there's enough money for you to make $100. And there's enough money for me to make $100 in the same market. Exactly. Because their budget is $10,000 and all we're asking for is $100. So there's plenty of money. You have to ask for it, but we have to release the mentality of servitude Mm -hmm. and that we're here just to give it. No, your knowledge, our knowledge is valuable. Right. And we have to see the value in ourselves as well as what we offer to everybody. Where did you learn that understanding of what you just said? I mean, honestly, I feel like I've always believed
1: it. Always. So I think one of my index markers is fairness. And I've been like that since I was a kid. And so I remember being at work when I was early in my career, asking people who did what I did, like, how much do you make? Mm -hmm. Because I want to know. I get it. I'm 23, 24, 25. But... I have a master's degree, like how much money do you make? And I want to compare that with what I make because as Black women, over the course of our career, if you remain in corporate, nonprofit, government, or whatever sector you sit in, you will lose about a million dollars over the course of your career because we're so unlikely to negotiate. Mm -hmm. We leave so much money on the table. And I remember asking people how much they make and they would not tell me. And they thought I was weird for asking it's supposed to be taboo but if we so first of all we know that black women make less mm-hmm. than white women but we know women make less than men that's why we got equal pay day that's why when rihanna hit a billion dollars on equal pay day right. last we were all celebrating for her mm-hmm. because we know the gaps and how much money we will lose over time because there's not parity in pay And so I've been asking people these questions about pay for as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I've gotten in trouble a couple of times for asking people about pay and people don't want to share what they pay, what they make, none of it. But if somebody, if I'm having a candid conversation and people want to know the numbers about Elevate, I'll tell them. I have a couple of TikToks where I'm like, okay, over the last three four years, we've made half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. I want to be transparent. Because I also think that as Black people, but especially as Black women, money is taboo. We don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. We don't want to increase financial literacy. We don't want to empower the next generation to be set up for success. And we over-index in saving. And Mm -hmm. we rarely over-index in investing. And so I think that as a community, especially as Black women and Black women running businesses, I think we could get a lot more comfortable with talking about money candidly with one another so that we don't get played in the market because- You, again, could be offering something at 25. Like I knew someone who was fire. And when I asked her how much she was charging for these two and three hour presentations, she said she was charging $200. I about fell out my seat. I said, (laughs) how many did you do last year? She was like 125. Ma'am, no (laughs) ma'am, no ma'am. I don't ever wanna hear this news again. Next year, it better be that you did, I don't know, 40 presentations and all of them was four and five figure amounts. And that's on period. That's on Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> we be out here. And here's the thing. Had we not gone to lunch, right. had we not talked it through, she was like, well, I feel like it's not hard, ma'am. Anybody listening, I'm talking to you, child. It's not about if it's hard for you, you have spent your quality time mastering your skill. Mm-hmm. Do not base your price on how hard it is. Do not. Let me tell you, I could do something in about 15 minutes. That doesn't mean I'm not going to charge you a bazillion dollars. I do not care. Mm-hmm. The reason why I did it in 15 minutes is because I've been doing this for like almost 20 years. Because you've mastered it. Yes. When I was 23, it took me eight hours or maybe 15 hours, whatever. Now I can do it, whatever the thing might be, in minutes. hmm but you're not paying for how long it took me. You're paying for the value. You're paying for the transformation. You're paying for the evolution of your leaders when it comes to these various concepts and content that I lift up and offer in a perspective that's hearable based on your company culture. That's what you're
0: paying for. So go ahead and CTC, cut the check. It's not based on how long it took me. It's really not. Because people are used to trading time for money.
1: Oh, my God. And that's not practical. Mm -mm. It is not practical to trade time for money. Mm -mm. It is far better to look at value and transformation instead. Yeah,
0: girl. (laughs)
1: Listen,
0: so we have... Listen, you are dropping knowledge. I hope people are pulling out their pen and paper and re-listen to the knowledge that you're dropping because it applies to every avenue of work, whatever you're doing. If you have a cleaning company or you babysit or whatever, know what other people are being paid, understand people have budgets and don't base their budget off of your lack of abundance. My philosophy is never count other people's money. When I say, do not tell people what they can and cannot do. Like you, because to-, to think about what you'll go and buy, you'll go spend it on a purse, girl. It yes. doesn't matter how you got to that counter. Right. You got there. Yes. So how people get to your counter is none of your business.
1: Pass the collection plate mm-hmm. because your money is not their money. Right. And so you want these folks to tell you their budget. And when they tell you their budget, charge accordingly. Let me tell y'all something. First of all, I'm gonna give y'all the game real quick. <laughs> so listen, when they tell you your their budget, your response is, I don't care what it is. Let's say that you were gonna charge $300 and they're like, our budget is $500. Here's what I want you to say. Got it. I think I can work within that budget. Normally I charge double that. But I think I can work within that. I think we can find something that's going to be workable for us, right? That's your response. Because you want people to understand that you got the juice and you will rise to the rate. Do you hear me? Because they said
0: 500, you planned on 300, you will rise to the rate. That's it. And understand what she's saying. Let me slow that down a little bit. When they ask you for your price or how much do you charge? Do not tell them. Reply with the question, what is your budget? Because oftentimes, because I've dealt with people in corporate America and people who negotiate people's contracts, people ask for what they think they need. Right. Not for the budget. So oftentimes, especially Black women, will ask for half of what they have allotted for that salary. Right. But guess who doesn't? a lot for that. Todd. Look, Connor, Dylan, look. <laughs> Dylan look, exactly. says what's your budget and i need some more. When i say can i just have the audacity of a connor
1: because mm. when i you are putting your pricing together, right? So now we've got our $300 price. Mm. So you want to send over $300 you're already sweating bullets about the 300. Mm-hmm. Just add 10-15% Do not call them, email it because there's no quote unquote tone in your email as far as fear, right? right? It's going to be like, hey, I would love to partner with you on this amazing project. It's going to be $325. Here's what you're going to get with that. Please let me know if I can send the contract over for e-signature. If you're reading that, you're not hearing like, oh my God, she's so freaked out. She's so out of her element because you're reading it and you're going to read it based on your own tone. Mm -hmm. You're not going to add fear in the tone. It's just that this is the price. But if you can push them on giving you their budget, then you can have a better understanding of what you're working with. And I've definitely have made the mistake of not charging enough. Mm -hmm. And throughout my career, like I said, miracles and blessings all along the way. I've literally had clients. Be like, hey, this is low. Can you just double it and resend? And hopefully nobody notices. (laughs) What? Yes. Who does that happen to? Nobody, person, as they say in French, nobody. Mm -hmm. But also I've had clients reach out to me after the fact and they're like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I feel like this is like a really, really weird conversation, but I hope it's okay. I just wanna say your price, was half of the next lowest price. Mm. I think the next time that we book you or anybody books you for the same service, double your price, triple your price, et cetera. And so I've been able to have a pulse on the marketplace by talking to other people who do what I do, but also the client will tell you. Once you build that rapport and relationship, you might have the blessing of a client coming to you and saying, hey, you shouldn't have charged
0: 300. You should have charged 3,000. Right, and we have to understand that all of this, if you don't feel comfortable with the money conversation, let's couch it under a self-care conversation and the type of lifestyle that you want to have. So how much does your lifestyle cost? Does your lifestyle cost $300 or is it $3,000? And so when you put it under self-care so that you can live the life that you want to live, you can have your children grow up the way that you want them to grow up, you cannot discount your knowledge or expertise because that's what gets you to the next level. And if you just sit down and do the numbers, Connor is going to make $500,000. According to the stats, you're going for the same job. And typically Black women have more education than anybody. That's what we do. But you're going to make $320,000 for the same job. Now that's $180,000 a year difference. Ask yourself, what can I do with $180,000? Who can I help with $180,000? And how can I secure my children's future with $180,000? Then go back and start over. Yeah, exactly. And that's just, just do the numbers, but do it under self-care. If you're uncomfortable with talking about finances, How do I take care of me and my family? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we got to go to the spa. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to hire coaches and therapists and all the things. Exactly. Exactly.
1: (laughs) That has to be folded into the rate. When I do diversity, equity, inclusion, I fold in therapy into that Mm rate.
0: Amazing. So we, let me tell you, you are fantastic. Not only did you release and birth a beautiful baby, but you birthed a business. Please tell us about the Elevate Collective.
1: Absolutely. So, the Elevate Collective is a premier learning and leadership development firm where we cultivate today's team member into tomorrow's leader. So, for all the girlies who are in corporate and nonprofit, if you are looking for someone to come in and do the cohort style experiences, Workshops, different activations or keynotes. When you are sitting in those rooms, definitely be like, I know someone. Now, for the rest of the girlies who are like, nope, I left and I've released my shackles and now I work for myself. For you, what I've done is I've created a brand called Elevate Her, which really centers the acceleration, growth, and advancement of Black women running successful businesses from the lens of building amazing teams, creating amazing cultures and being a really dope leader because leadership is what's going to help you get to multi six figures. Leadership is what's going to help you get to multi millions. And so if you don't believe me, ask anyone who's made 10 million plus in their business, ask them about the role that leadership plays. They will tell you and they will give you the game if you don't want to believe me. But what I've done is developed a brand called Elevate Her that really centers our advancement, our acceleration, our growth as business owners who are going to far surpass $43,000 a year cuz 43k just ain't enough. And it's really difficult to build teams and grow the firm if we don't have enough revenue coming in. So, for all of my corporate girlies and nonprofit and government girlies, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn or on Instagram I'm the Elevate Collective on Instagram. For my business owner girlies, I'm Elevate Her on Instagram. And you can follow me on TikTok where I give you all the game, child. (laughs) And she leads on TikTok. So Elevate is really a firm that was birthed out of necessity. A lot of people have experienced really crummy managers and 70% of Americans hate where they work. Well, a lot of that is based on crazy managers, as well as crappy cultures. And so Elevate seeks to really transform the way that we experience the world of work so that we can find meaning in what we do. And meaning is the highest level of happiness. And we want to see more women in those top positions, because like low key, like nothing bad happens when we are in positions of power. It actually makes dollars and cents for us to be at the top. And companies just low-key, they just be winning when women are (laughs) at They be winning. So yeah, that's really what Elevate is about. And we want to just kind of come in, make that positive impact, and engage in culture transformation that lasts beyond our presence.
0: I often find that people do these diversity equity programs, Mm -hmm. but then they don't switch the nest around. Right. To accommodate the learning that has happened. So it just it's like putting a brand new shiny thing inside of an old messy nest. Right. And so that's why the kids are like, I'm out. (laughs) There's no more kids staying 20 years because that's what you're supposed to do. It's like, oh, I don't like it here. I'm out. Right. And so companies can small or large. You have to shift the culture in order to create people who are going to be loyal to your business, you have to be loyal to them. So when you go into these companies, I know that there have been lots of diversity and equity programs. And I'm going to make this one of my final questions, but have you actually seen a shift in cultures as you're walking into these businesses? Or are they like, we need you because we don't know what to do? Child both. I mean, I've walked into some firms where
1: I'm like, wow, like they've done one of the firms I'm going to in person next week. The way that they have done such a good job making the culture, culture is who we be, right? So the way that they've made culture, just the way that they do things is wildly impressive. I cannot wait to go there and be in their culture And see who they be in person. But I've gone to, I've been hired on by other organizations that I end up working with for years. And the way they started, I was like, oh, Jesus, be a fence, clutch the pearl, even know though. Like, I don't even know. And like where they are now, girl, night and day because of the work that we've done. But one of the things is the only way that culture can shift is if the organization truly wants the culture to shift. Because a lot of times organizations wanna do work, they wanna do one-off stuff. And many companies spend hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions and billions of dollars on leadership development and diversity equity inclusion initiatives. And they're literally in mostly the same spot As when they started. And a lot of it ties back to unconscious bias. There is stuff getting in the way that they are absolutely not aware of. And so they are literally spending money and chasing their tail. And so something that's important to us here at Elevate is making sure that this organization is a good fit. Are they a good culture match? Can we actually go in here and ignite change? Or is it going to be check the box? Is it going to be spinning our wheels? That's just not a good use of our time. And it just doesn't align with our mission, vision, and values. And so part of the reason why we've been able to elicit change with multiple organizations is because they genuinely want to change and they have leaders in place who are willing to draw the line in the sand, make the hard decisions, and take those calculated risks.
0: You talked about earlier how you knew that this was your pathway. How important was it for you to align with your new company, your personal beliefs and values and aligning with what you were putting out next? Mm, It was really important. I
1: mean, my personal values are a little different from Elevate's, but I see myself in the Elevate values. I can align to the Elevate values. I mean, when I think about my personal values, right? Faith is the first thing, but even though people are of different faiths, I'll literally be like, God told me to do it. So you can't argue, right? I mean, it is what it is. But I think that whatever organization we are creating and or gifting our leadership to. Because if you work for somebody else, you're gifting them with your leadership. Your leadership is portable. It goes everywhere that you go. But in either case, we want to make sure that we can align to the mission, vision, and values. Because if we can't, it's going to be difficult to find meaning in the work that we do. And it's going to be difficult to be a high performer. We could be a high achiever, but it will be hard to be a high performer in that environment. And so when I think about the values Of Elevate, taking those calculated risks, peopling first, going from growth to great, I align with those values. Even though my values, my top five might look a little different, those resonate with me and I can ignite that and live that out loud every day that I do work within Elevate.
0: Beautiful. You definitely seem like a live out loud type of person.
1: (laughs) I, I think
0: the work that I do is helping women build their confidence and learn to live out loud. And I think that it's important because we're here and not only are we here, we've been here and we carry traditions and culture that has shaped especially America. I always tell people America has a black culture. That's underneath everything because we Mm -hmm. built this country. You can't build a country and not infuse your culture into it. So it's important that we understand that as we, people are, I'm just going to start my own business, understand the culture you're leaving and the culture that you want to build, understand Mm -hmm. the processes, the hard work it's going to take, how long it's going to take and prepare yourself from mentally financially, spiritually, all the things. And like Dorothy said, she doesn't recommend you do it by yourself. Make sure you get a coach, a mentor. There's free resources. There's people you can hire like Dorothy's company. And there's help. Get past, I gotta do this myself. Yeah, please don't. Please don't. It's supposed to be a (laughs) project, child. (laughs) project, there's some help. So just a couple of fun questions before we get out. You have lived all over the world. Where would be, if you said, I'm going to move tomorrow, where would that place be? And what experience do you want to have? If I was going to move tomorrow, I think I would go to South
1: Africa. Mm, I
0: love South Africa.
1: I just love it over there. It's giving. I feel like for me, I feel like I'm at home when I'm in South Africa. And it's, for me, it felt fast paced enough. And I feel like I see people who look like me, but I also still see diversity outside of people who look like me. And so I think if I was going to
0: just up and move, I would go there. Yeah. I think that's where I would go. I could see that. I love South Africa. South Africa reminded me a lot of California. Girl, (laughs) right. I was like, I got off this plane and I landed in LA after 31 hours. Yes. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> And the people there are very progressive and mm-hmm. get stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. My final question to you, I really could talk to you forever, is what is your Black girl magic superpower? Oh,
1: let me think. I would say my Black girl magic superpower would be strategy. I am very strategic in all areas of my life. It's like the matrix in this piece. It's like, who's that dude Iron Man when he got all the screens up? Or like Honda
0: when Shuri got all the screens up. Minority Report when the screen went from one side of the room to the next. Yes, exactly. So I think
1: it's my ability to strategize and ignite the strategy in my personal life, but especially in my professional life in order to not just move from A to B as Black Girl Magic individuals, it don't always have to be A to B, sis. Sometimes it could be A to D. Sometimes it could be A to F. You can leapfrog. You just have to be strategic and you have to take those calculated risks and be innovative. But it's your life. You're going pro. No one can do it better than you. And so I definitely lean on this brain of mine. And instead of complaining about why don't it do this? Why don't it do that? Why don't I just maximize it for what it can do and use
0: that to help me literally
1: live my best life?
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Let our listeners know again, how they can reach you. your website. Yes. So they can learn more about you. All
1: right. So you can visit me at the Elevate Collective. So that's E-L-L-E-V-A-T-E. And I just wrote a new book. It came out last month. It's called Be Accountable and Be Fabulous. If you loved this you will enjoy that book. It is a funny kick in the pants that's going to really help you maximize your life and take it to that next level by using the leadership characteristic of accountability. And so you, when you visit my site, you'll be able to see the book. It's like right at the top. And so again, let's stay in touch. I hope I will see you all on the gram or the TikToks For the LinkedIn's, and I hope that there's something helpful. Use what's useful. Leave
0: the rest on the floor. Let's go make this money, and let's all elevate. Thank you again, Miss Dorothy, for this amazing conversation, and thank you for joining the Black Women Amplify podcast. You are welcome back anytime. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. (laughs) Have an amazing day, and we will chat soon. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Black Women Amplified. We hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to subscribe and log on to blackwomenamplified.com for more information. Keep shining.